Faye, our friends over at Rosh Review have a special deal that they're offering for um, residents out there. So if you like access to Rosh Review, you and your friends can come together and get a group discount. So if you have at least seven of you and your friends and want to get this discount, you can come together and chat with Rosh email them, and you'll also get your own subscription for free. All the members of your group on top of this will get free access to a new mock ABOG qualifying exam, which is 200 additional ABOG formatted questions that's set up like the actual ABOG qualifying exam. That's your written boards. That's $119 value. So if you and your friends want to have access to Rosh, go ahead and go onto our website where we'll put a link and uh, you'll be able to sign up right there. All right, Faye, so one of the things that I'm really excited about is this recently released CHAPS trial, and I saw on the OBG project that they've got a great summary out already. Yeah, so if you want to keep up to date to all those studies that are coming out, not only in OBGYN, but also other practice-changing studies and other specialties, make sure you go onto the OBG project and sign up so that you can keep up to date. Fourth-year residents can get the premium project, OBG First, absolutely free. It allows you to create your own library, save resources for you to be able to access later, as well as see something like the second trimester ultrasound atlas that lets you get brushed up on all those images that are going to show up on your written boards. And of course, if you are a resident in general, you can get their core curriculum uh, on their website. So make sure you go ahead and go onto our website to figure out a little bit more about how to sign up for the OBG project and also how to sign up for OBG first. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Creogs over, over coffee. coffee. So today we're going to be talking about mastitis, breast abscesses, and other breastfeeding challenges, uh, which is going to be very exciting. Uh, so Nick, what are our learning objectives for today? So we'll start by understanding some of the difficulties and challenges of breastfeeding in the postpartum period, carrying on from last week's episode about postpartum care. We'll review some different pathologies that can mimic mastitis. Um, and then finally, we'll talk about the evaluation and treatment of mastitis, as well as knowing when to refer to breast surgery or other subspecialties to assist in the treatment of mastitis. If you remember from way back when, we did some breastfeeding episodes with Dr. Aaron Cleary, and those are good basic reminders of some of the things surrounding normal breastfeeding and some myths surrounding breastfeeding. So we highly encourage you to check out the website and head back to those episodes too as a little bit of a refresher. Faye, before we get into mastitis, one of the things that we did learn from Dr. Cleary is not a myth is that breastfeeding can be kind of challenging. Yeah, absolutely. We know that breastfeeding is challenging. And even though there are many benefits to breastfeeding for the patient themselves, so for example, decrease in breast cancer, ovarian cancer, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and the fact that we also recommend breastfeeding for at least the first six months of life or longer, and despite all the benefits to the infant, in the U.S., as high as 45% of patients report early undesired weaning. And this can be due to a myriad of reasons. Um, things like nipple pain, perception of low milk supply, difficulty with latching, social factors, things like limited access to maternity leave, which we talked about last time, 
barriers to breastfeeding in the workplace, etc. And then, you know, of course, things like postpartum depression or previously negative breastfeeding experiences. And then also kind of some of the things that we'll talk about today, there are many things that can occur while someone is breastfeeding that can then lead to um, breastfeeding being a challenge. I think what we should jump into next then, Nick, are some of these challenges or things that potentially could look like mastitis. Yeah, the first and probably the most common of these is engorgement, um, which is a physiologic breast fullness that typically starts to occur between day three and day five postpartum. The good thing about engorgement is that this is actually a reassuring sign typically that mature milk is being secreted, but it's not a pleasant sign at all. It can cause symptoms of breast distension, pain, tenderness, and firmness, um, and even the presence of fever, which is usually a low-grade fever. And ultimately, those symptoms make it easy to confuse for mastitis. Additionally, no, there can be physical exam findings of swelling and tender lymph nodes. Um, and engorgement also can be very pronounced. One important piece, though, is that there should be some anticipatory guidance surrounding engorgement and its presence as sort of a, a more physiologic thing than a pathologic thing. Ultimately, treating engorgement, the data on prevention of engorgement is really, really limited. Um, and you can do all sorts of stuff that's been tried. So, you no know, acupuncture, hot and cold packs, cold cabbage leaves. Uh, but all of these things, even in systematic reviews, just have insufficient evidence to recommend a particular treatment regimen. Ultimately though, you know, one way of just if there's engorgement because there's milk present, milk expression ultimately helps to relieve some of those symptoms. Um, and so kind of counseling about pumping intervals and frequent, you know, every three to four hour feedings is important to try and help prevent some of these symptoms too. All right, another issue, Faye, can be pain with feeding. Yeah, so certainly um, many things can cause persistent breast pain with feeding. Um, the first and most common of which is nipple damage from the baby or with overuse or misuse of the pump. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, we hear the term like tongue tie. And what that means is it's that's an infant that has a tight lingual frenulum. Um, and for these infants, they can get a phrenotomy or a phrenectomy. And the way to kind of like assess for this is to observe pumping sessions and then adjust the level of suction or fit a flange with a lactation consultant as well as observing the patient actually breastfeeding. Other causes could be um, just skin conditions, so like psoriasis or eczematous conditions, um, in which case you would treat that with emollients and reduce identifiable triggers. And then, you know, the like last kind of group of things that can cause pain are things like infections. So a candida infection or herpes simplex or even herpes zoster. So for candida, you can treat with a topical azole and antifungal ointment or cream um, are all okay. And you can even do oral fluconazole. Herpes simplex or zoster are usually going to appear as small clustered tender vesicles, um, and treatment is usually just with like an oral antiviral therapy. You should stop breastfeeding though on that side temporarily if you have open lesions from herpes simplex or herpes zoster. And then the last thing to kind of bring up that we're going to talk about is a galactoseal or a milk retention cyst, and it's usually just a collection of fluid that is caused by an obstructed milk duct and is usually presents as soft cystic masses or a single soft cystic mass. I mean, I think we've talked a little bit about some of the things that can look like mastitis that are benign, Nick. But I think one thing that we should probably talk about that is important is what makes a good latch. 
Yeah, you know, and I think that this was a question too that in residency I would get asked during my postpartum rounding and then really shy away from um, and say, oh, the the lactation consultant will be by later on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of embarrassing. Is it's like it is something that we really should know more about and be able to assess, particularly because we are a part of the front line in that postpartum period. So what are we looking for? First, we want to make sure that the infant's chest is resting against the maternal body. Um, you want the infant's chin to touch the breast and the tongue to be down. The infant's lips should flange outward, so kind of, again, sort of that suckling type of face when you see, like, if you stimulate a suck reflex, you kind of, you know what I'm talking about in the way the lips sort of kind of pucker outwards. Um, Little or no areola on the breast should be visualized if the infant is in a proper position. Then what you're looking for are kind of more signs from the infant directly. So you're looking for rhythmic sucking to be present, and you're trying to hear for audible swallowing to be present. And finally, the latch with all of those things together should not be uncomfortable or painful, um, and the nipple should not be injured or misshapen in the immediate aftermath of breastfeeding. So hopefully that's a good sort of checklist to go down in terms of your own assessments that that you can help a patient out with um, on your own postpartum rounds. Faye, our objective today with the podcast, though, was to talk about mastitis primarily, and this is a very common thing. So let's start talking about that. Yeah. So to first of all, define mastitis, it's defined as the inflammation of the breast. And it can occur spontaneously, but we're going to limit our discussion today to um, those who are postpartum and those who are breastfeeding, just because that is where it occurs most commonly. And in fact, it can occur in about 10% of patients who are breastfeeding and is especially problematic because it can lead to discontinuation of breastfeeding. Risk factors include things like infant attachment issues that we talked about, cracked nipples, local milk stasis, missed feedings, poor maternal nutrition, previous history of mastitis, as with anything in OBGYN, primaparity, use of a breast pump, and a yeast infection. So knowing those things and knowing how common this is, Nick, you know, how do we make the diagnosis of mastitis? This is fortunately usually a clinical diagnosis with the presentation taking on the form of localized unilateral breast tenderness with erythema of the skin. Mastitis usually has pretty high fevers, so compared to engorgement, that's one differentiating factor. The fevers in mastitis usually exceed 101 degrees Fahrenheit or 38.5 degrees Celsius. Patients also will have other symptoms that go along with systemic infection, so malaise or fatigue, body aches and headache. And then the fortunate thing with mastitis too is that you don't really typically need to get a culture of milk to identify an organism. Um, you really can just diagnose this clinically and treat to the most likely suspects. Again, on the exam, we're looking to find redness and tenderness on one particular aspect of the breast as mastitis can be present in sort of different quadrants. And one important thing to think about in your exam is to try and see if there's fluctuance that's underneath the skin. You're trying to make a determination there of whether you think there might be an abscess that's present or not, because an abscess does help to change management. Imaging is another question that frequently comes up in this regard. Um, So certainly if you think there's an abscess on your physical exam, a breast ultrasound is important. 
But then the other reason to get an ultrasound would be if symptoms are not improving despite initial medical management, as that may indicate an underlying abscess as well. And as I've already spilled, but just bears repeating, we usually diagnose breast abscesses with ultrasound as the, the primary means of, of diagnosis. How do we treat mastitis, Faye? Yeah, I think, you know, we always want to just like jump to our antibiotics, which of course we're going to get to. But I think it bears saying here that breastfeeding technique actually can be very helpful as part of the treatment for mastitis. So um, for these patients, you may want to get lactation consultation to improve their breastfeeding technique. Um, you should also counsel the patient that they shouldn't stop breastfeeding or pumping on that side as stopping can lead to milk stasis and then that increases their risk of developing an abscess. And that patient can absolutely continue breastfeeding on that side that they have mastitis um, because usually the baby's already colonized by the same organism. We are, of course, going to be treating with antibiotics, and these usually should last anywhere between 10 to 14 days. And possible treatment regimens include things like Augmentin, um, 875 milligrams twice a day, Keflex, 500 milligrams four times a day, or Clindamycin, 300 milligrams four times a day, or even Dicloxacillin, 500 milligrams four times a day. But again, that is very, very hard to do. I feel like most people cannot do something four times a day and then add a newborn on top of that and really you can't do anything four times a day. The last thing to think about too is Bactrim um, double strength, which you can also do twice a day. If you suspect MRSA for some reason, then you can use clindamycin or Bactrim, but just bear in mind that Bactrim is usually not recommended, especially in patients who have had a preterm infant, um, as it can be associated uh, with increased risk of kernicterus. So just make sure that, you know, that the patient uh, has either the baby is further enough along or that they don't have a preterm infant. So Nick, what about, you know, when should we be concerned when we should say, hey, you know what, maybe we need to refer to a breast specialist? Yeah. So two primary situations where we should consider this. One certainly is in the presence of an abscess, as abscesses typically need to get drained. Fortunately, this can often be done as a quick bedside procedure, um, and even us as OBs can often do this if you feel comfortable, and then you can avoid the referral and the time to get into breast surgery. Um, but I will admit that that's something that depends on an individual provider's level of comfort, um, and so bringing general surgery to be involved or breast surgery to be involved may also be appropriate depending on your skills and your training. The other thing to be concerned about and refer out for is for abnormal presentations or a lack of response to initial treatment. So mastitis, again, in the absence of abscesses should resolve after this initial treatment. And recurrence is not really a common thing, um, but it can happen if it we're in the setting of inappropriate or incomplete antibiotic therapy. Abscesses after treatment, fortunately, don't tend to recur as well. Um, and then the last sort of abnormal presentation that's worth mentioning is inflammatory breast cancer. Um, inflammatory breast cancer can resemble mastitis at times, um, but can be differentiated ultimately by the presence of skin thickening as well as significant axillary lymphadenopathy. I've seen this once in the postpartum period before. 
Um, and it's actually kind of impressive at the initial outset how much it resembled mastitis and really did take the patient a second or third visit ultimately for us to recognize that this didn't seem like a usual mastitis for her to get the diagnosis. All right, Faye, I think that does it for this episode on mastitis and breast abscess. Um, so why don't we try to summarize? All right. So we first started talking about the fact that, you know, even though there are many benefits to breastfeeding, that breastfeeding overall is very challenging. And many patients in the United States actually um, have early undesired weaning because of all of these issues that come with breastfeeding. The differential diagnosis for mastitis is broad, um, but one of the most common is engorgement, which we can treat with just kind of comfort measures like acupuncture, hot cold packs, cabbage leave, um, but ultimately more effective is milk expression. Persistent breast pain is also another common concern that can be caused by a number of things. For instance, nipple damage from a baby um, with a tongue tie or overuse or misuse of a breast pump, skin conditions like psoriasis or eczema, or even skin infections like candida or herpes simplex or zoster that ultimately need to be treated appropriately with antibiotics or antivirals. Galactoseal is another differential diagnosis that's just a milk retention cyst the soft cystic mass caused by an obstructed milk duct. We then finally got into the meat of our subject that we were going to discuss today, which is mastitis, which is an inflammation of the breast and can occur very commonly about 10% of patients who are breastfeeding. We discussed the multiple risk factors and talked about how it can actually be diagnosed usually clinically um, by finding unilateral breast tenderness and erythema, high fever, as well as other systemic findings like malaise, fatigue, body aches, and headaches. Ultimately, with that clinical diagnosis, imaging is not typically warranted, but should be obtained if you suspect an abscess on your exam or if symptoms aren't improving despite medical management, and that imaging should typically be with ultrasound. Treatment consists of assessing breastfeeding technique to make sure that this is optimized and is not going to lead to recurrence, but breastfeeding should not stop in the middle of treatment as that can lead to milk stasis and is more likely to help develop an abscess than hinder it. Medical management antibiotics are usually needed for 10 to 14 days, and there's a litany of possible treatments ranging from Augmentin, Keflex, Clindamycin, Dicloxacillin, and Bactrim, which can be used against MRSA but should be used in caution with patients who have preterm infants. In terms of when to refer to a specialist, sometimes we can refer for abscess formation in order for them to be drained, though again, this may be individualized depending on provider's level of comfort. Um, also, we should refer when there is abnormal presentation or lack of response to treatment, as usually mastitis should resolve after the initial treatment. One caution is that inflammatory breast cancer can often resemble mastitis at its very beginning, um, but can potentially be differentiated by things like skin thickening and axillary lymphadenopathy. All right, Faye, I think that does it for today. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, go ahead and go into your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee 1, on Instagram and Facebook at Creogs Over Coffee, or if you love the show, head over to patreon.com slash Creogs Over Coffee. Send us some love and we'll send you some swag. You can find show notes for this show and all of our other shows, as well as the Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. And finally, if you have a question for us, a correction for this or any of our previous episodes, or just want to say hi, email us, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com.